Welcome to True Talks, an honest and open look into the challenges we all face every day dealing with God, family, and others. Now, here's Pastor Tim Buttry, founder and CEO of True Relationships. What I've chosen to focus on for this morning is the seasons of rest. Um, that's not something we do well. Uh, I don't think that's just in America anymore. I think that uh, has pretty much traveled around the globe, and that's uh, probably not a good thing. Nevertheless, it's not something that culturally or spiritually we, we really get very well. So I, I've been discovering some truths about rest that I personally had not embraced or allowed to be understood. Um, last year was, actually I should say 2016, the year of 2016 was in a way a, a, a season of rest for me because I had gotten to a point at the beginning of that year um, where I was, I, I don't, I, I purposely don't want to use the word burned out because that's, that's not the case. But in a way, I, I did emotionally, physically kind of hit a wall. And God was gracious enough to allow me to have some additional space in my life and in my schedule um, to recuperate, so to speak. And it was a gift from God, as all good things are, uh, they're from Him. So, Another thing I realized is when it comes to rest and even this biblical concept of rest, both uh, in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm, I realized that I didn't get that very well. Um, I was a kind of a, a get-the-job-done person. I can remember many times in, even in ministry where it was, for me, it was just about pull up the bootstraps and do what you got to do and make it happen. And I really didn't know how to quote-unquote, rest. And um, so rest has a lot to do with trust. So we're going to explore this idea of seasons of rest. And I actually was hoping to be able to bring two concepts of rest. But as I completed this first round, uh, first service, I realized that this first point that I want to make is really the, the lion's share of what's on my heart. Not that there aren't a lot of other aspects of rest that are important and biblical and that need to be explored, but this first one I, I find is, is really misunderstood. And not only is it misunderstood by us, but it's been misunderstood for uh, generations, almost from the beginning. And so I hope to bring some clarity, maybe some uh, new insight into the idea of God's rest for us. And um, there are some things that I personally never really got. And uh, as I prepared for this talk, I, I learned some things that I want to pass on to you. Um, so as we begin, th the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah confronted Israel's tendency to kind of drift from God's seasons of rest. Um, they confronted something that was actually starting to happen more predominantly, and I'll explain kind of the timeline of why Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, and other prophets were so specific about this 
concept of rest to the people of God. And uh, unfortunately, I believe that in a way, I hope that my voice is kind of a prophetic voice for us in 2017, because I also realize that we don't really get this idea of God's rest very well. We, we just, uh, I think we have a, a elementary concept of what that means, but I don't think that in our soul we really understand it or even participate, more importantly, participate in it. So let me just share with you a couple things that these prophets were saying to God's people back then. And here's what Isaiah said in chapter 30, verse 15. He said, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. Okay, I think that, that pretty much sets it up, doesn't it? I mean, he's kind of trying to get their attention and ours. God is speaking very clearly and very directly, um, and He's speaking to us as well as them. He says, Only in returning to me and resting resting in me will you be saved in quietness and confidence is your strength but you would have none of it what a sad commentary what a sad acknowledgement that what god has lovingly graciously profoundly made available to us through him, because he is in charge, in control. Nothing happens that doesn't go through him. He says, trust me, but we don't know how to do that. And so as a result, we don't find rest for our souls, for our minds, for our hearts, for our bodies. And God has prescribed that. Jeremiah also made a pretty pronounced statement, and that's found in chapter 6. Verse 16, and he says this. This is again, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. You know, I think a lot of us are at crossroads. We're we're at points of decision or uh, trying to figure things out. Where do we go? What do we do? Uh, I know when Linda and I planted the church that we did in California, we named the church Crossroads Church because we we recognized that people were in transition all the time, making choices. They're at crossroads. We wanted them to come to the cross at their moment of crossroads. So here's what God is saying to them and us. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, when I read that, it's like, really, did you have to put it that way? We don't like the old way. We like the new way. We like doing things funky and new and, and different. We like to be unique. But God says, now hold on a second. There are some things that I've done that are, that are still in place and that still work, and they did it right in the past. Go back. Go back and do that. Choose that godly path. Walk in that, he says. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, nah, that's not the road we want. Again, a sad response to something so profound that God has offered. I think 
Sometimes we think we're beyond all of that. You know, that, that's Old Testament. That was thousands of years ago. That was at the beginning. They didn't get it, but we get it now. Really? I mean, seriously, I think we need to ask ourselves, are, are we really any further along in some respects than they were? I mean, in a way, don't we also kind of in your face, God, about stopping, slowing down, uh, enjoying His presence? I mean, don't we kind of resist that? Aren't we in a way saying, yeah, okay, I know, there, yeah, but there's stuff to be done. I haven't done my checklist. It's not finished. I've got to do that. And God is just saying, you know what, there's a, there's a better way. There, there is an, a way that was done that isn't being done anymore. So let's check that out. So here we are, 2017, born-again believers that live in the New Testament era instead of the Old Testament. So it must be different for us, right? I mean, sometimes I think we feel like we've moved on in some important ways. And I'm not saying that we haven't. I'm just saying in this particular area, are we, are we really getting it? God appears to be calling them and us into this same rest, an intimate relationship with Him and a lifestyle, a lifestyle that affirms that He is in control, not us. I mean, it really, that's kind of one of the big points of why God tells us to rest. He says, Tim, you can't do it all. I made you to be dependent on me, and you, when you think you've got to do it yourself, you reject me. It's like, really? Is that what I'm doing when I do that? I, I'm sorry, Lord. That is not what I, that's not what I want. But yet, that's often what I do. So be careful. Be careful that you are not living under the delusion that you believe you are ultimately the controller of your destiny or even of your daily routine. I mean, really, if we understand God, we have to acknowledge that we aren't in control. Now, some of us just don't like that idea at all. I mean, okay, maybe not entirely, but we've got some control. Not, not really. I mean, Jesus even warned us to not even say what we're going to do next month. Just do what you're going to do today. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. And yet we just, we don't even get that. We still worry. So, what do we do with all of this? Well, I think there are different seasons of rest different experiences, so to speak, of rest. And I really want to focus on one, and if I have a few extra minutes at the end, which is highly unlikely, I will at least give you a, a brief overview of this second idea of rest that I think is equally important, but I think we get that one more than we get this one. So I'm going to spend more time on, on this first season of rest. It's a season that God has prescribed that only lasts 24 hours and occurs every single week. God calls it the Sabbath rest. 
Here's something I didn't know before, never heard it preached, taught, said, ever, ever, ever in my long-legged life. Never heard it. The original meaning of the word Sabbath, which is a funny word anyway, isn't it? I mean, it's just like not a word that we really use that often, and, and it sounds funny when we say it, but there was a very distinct definition, meaning to that word. Here's what it is. Cease and desist. I mean, I've heard that on like law and order, you know. Uh, they come in with some kind of piece of paper. Okay, the court has ordered you to cease and desist. Well, we all know what that means, don't we? They've got to stop doing whatever they were doing. No, no playing games, no pushing extra buttons, no trying to get a little bit in here so they don't find this or that or another thing. Cease and desist. And that's what God is saying to us for the Sabbath. Cease and desist. Just stop doing all of the stuff that you're doing to make your life work or to provide money or to take care of this or that or another. Just stop. Man, we just don't get that. We don't like that. But what are we going to do about it? Because God is clearly making this statement loud and clear to not only them, but us. So, where did this all begin? This, this idea, this, this uh, law. Where did it start? What, what's going on here? Let's, let's look at Exodus 20, verses 8 through 10. It says this, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. You see, there's a real clarification, separation here. It's not about not doing anything. It's not about being lazy. It's not about sleeping for 18 hours. Not that you can't do that occasionally, but that's not what it's meant as far as the Sabbath is concerned. The Sabbath is about stopping what you ordinarily do to make your life work and do things that allow you to experience God and get filled up and replenished and aware that you are not the center of the universe. (laughs) And yet, we have a hard time letting go of that control, even though God is making it clear. You have six days each week to do your ordinary work, but the seventh day, he said, is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. So this is obviously a very spiritual thing. It involves activities, but not the activities of our maybe daily routine. So as I prepared for this, I mean, I knew where I wanted to go, especially because of last year and what God has shown me and and really getting more integrated uh, emotionally and getting kind of congruency in my soul as far as emotional health and all of that. And the Sabbath was really a part of that. This idea of rest and trust was something I was learning for the first time in ways in my whole life. So, so here I am today, all right? I, I counted it up. I have spent 59 years and 44 weeks of my life going to church. That's out of 60 years. 
I was two weeks old when I went to church the first time, and I probably only missed a handful of Sundays, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights in my whole life. So I was a pretty churchy kid. You know what, though? Sadly, God's gift of Sabbath is a concept I am still trying to figure out and get right. Why? How is that possible? I'll tell you what, when I was preparing for this and, and I kind of got to this point where I'm like, well, how, out of all of these years, and it's not new to me, this whole church thing and the Bible thing, and the, how is it that, that I am still confused about what the Sabbath is supposed to be about? How, how does that happen? How is it that I was never I don't remember the sermon that told me what I'm going to share with you today, so you're welcome. I'm going to be vulnerable and share something with you that I have never learned, and maybe it can change the way you do business, as it were, with God. So, getting this thing called Sabbath right has historically been a problem for religious folk. Every interaction that Jesus had with the Pharisees involved him confronting the manipulative structures of religion. He was constantly drilling down. He was constantly confronting the Pharisees because they were the ones that espoused this judgmental, legalistic way of looking at life and God. And so Jesus was constantly bringing it back to, to center and saying, oh, wait, so you're saying this, but what about this? this? This is God's heart. So there's this letter of the law versus the spirit of the law kind of happening. And truly, for me, I mean, I wouldn't say my parents were legalistic. I think for the legalism of the day, they were pretty smart about it, and they really didn't make us feel like the Sabbath, Sunday, as I grew up understanding it, um, was legalistic, so to speak. But they had their share of stuff that we couldn't do um, because that was supposed to honor the Sabbath, okay? So I'm not going to get into all that. I don't have time for it. But just to say this, in spite of all of that that may have been okay, I really didn't have anyone mentor me speak into my life, show me, model for me what this Sabbath rest was really all about. Perhaps because it was meant to be so simple and life-giving, it was turned into something that was exhaustingly complex and lifeless. And that's a shame. I don't like to use that word very often, especially when it's directed at a person. But when it's directed at a concept like this, it's a shame that we, God's people, still struggle <laughs> with getting this whole thing called Sabbath rest. We may not be as legalistic about the Sabbath in, in our postmodern society, but that certainly does not mean that we are enjoying the Sabbath as God intended it. So, I'm going to give you a quick kind of overview of a historical timeline of the Sabbath, kind of where it started, how it kind of transpired into uh, some things that were pretty decent and good, and then it was lost, and in a way it's never been recovered. So let me just give you that timeline. Well, 
obviously it starts out at the beginning. Where? The creation. God made clear in the beginning that he created everything that is was created in six days, and he said on the seventh day he rested from his work. Now, what do you think he did? Have you ever thought about that? You know, like, what does the God of the universe that just created everything that there is do when he's resting? Well, he's not sleeping because the Bible clearly says that he doesn't sleep nor slumber, so that isn't a need. What did rest look like? Well, I'd like, I'll expound on it, but I believe what it really looked like initially was him enjoying what he created. I don't know what that might have looked like for the God of the universe, but I do believe that he was enjoying it. And he knew that if he kept on working, he couldn't enjoy what he had just done. And I think he enjoyed being with Adam and Eve. He walked in the cool of the night in the garden. Who knows where else he went in the universe and what he did, but he enjoyed it, I believe, with all my heart. So it started in creation. It was not talked about. God didn't confront his people with that. The, there were no prophets talking against them because they weren't doing it, etc., etc. It just wasn't on the, the radar. For 1,400 and about 50 years, so in 1440 before Christ, after the exodus from Egypt in the desert, we have our very first introduction of the word Sabbath. Now, maybe this was, was taught at some point. I, I don't remember ever hearing it. I went to Bible college. I studied the Bible. I would not have been able to tell you that there was a point in time that God prescribes the Sabbath, and it was after their time in, in, in Egypt enslaved they were brought into the desert. God teaches them and tells them about this thing called Sabbath. And he does it by providing for them food. Food. That's one of the things you can enjoy on the Sabbath. Hallelujah. You know, enjoy some food. Yeah, maybe some of you shouldn't. But anyway, that's not the point. So, we have our first introduction to the word Sabbath. Here, God provides manna to eat and stipulates that on the sixth day they were to collect twice as much manna so that they didn't have to work on the seventh day. And God told them that day was called Sabbath. It was a day of rest. They didn't have to prepare meals. They didn't have to walk and travel. They didn't have to do a bunch of stuff. They they just enjoyed God. Now, the way that God did that was miraculous. Number one, His provision was miraculous. Then, just like it is today, just so you know, He's still in the miracle of provision. And He miraculously provided manna, this food substance that came from heaven and lasted for one day. They collected it. They ate it. If they, after 24 hours, it went sour. Couldn't eat it. It was trash. Throw away. But on the sixth day, when they gathered twice as much, the manna lasted twice as long. Go figure. How does that happen? It's the same stuff, but now God said it's going to last for two days because 
I'm calling that seventh day a day of rest. Shortly after that instance of provision and calling this seventh day the day of Sabbath rest, it was codified in the, uh, uh, in the Ten Commandments. So, so now it moved from, okay, I'm showing you, I'm doing it, and, and now I'm going to tell you that I want this to happen to honor this day from here on out. Okay? Great. So, for about a thousand years after entering the promised land, the Sabbath appears to have been observed in the way God intended. So, again, there were no prophets talking about it. There was no one confronting that they weren't doing the Sabbath correctly, etc., etc. So, for about a thousand years, apparently, they were doing it the way they were supposed to be doing it. And we're going to explore that in a little bit. We're going to go back and say, well, what did they do? Because if they were doing it right and nobody else seems to have done it right, what was it that they did? Okay, we'll look at that in a minute. So, So they did it right for about a thousand years. Now, we're going to fast forward again to around 590 B.C. So we're going that thousand years, and here's what happens. God's people were overtaken by an enemy, and as a result, they were exiled. They were kicked out of their country, most of them, were kicked out and taken to Babylon and became slaves and workers for uh, Babylon. Okay, so that went on for about 40 years. After 40 years, they were permitted to return to Jerusalem. There's an unfortunate thing that happened in that time away. They forgot or weren't allowed to enjoy because they were enslaved. They couldn't practice or observe the Sabbath, and it was lost. Unfortunately, the true meaning of Sabbath was lost in exile and spiritually bankrupt leadership Get that spiritually bankrupt leadership paved the way for the judgmental, legalistic expression of the Pharisees. That's where it started. This judgmental legal. Here, here's how uh, Brendan Manning puts it in, in his book, Abba's Child. He says, It was the hair splitting, Pharisaical interpretation of the Sabbath. I'm sorry, I skipped too far ahead. Okay. Let me back up a second. That, that true meaning of the Sabbath was lost. The Pharisees put in this legalistic approach, and that continued on into the days of Jesus. Jesus was obviously confronting that, and many times he confronts the Pharisees, especially about the Sabbath. And then we go from that point, we go about 1,800 years, fast forward again. All right? So we're going to fast forward to uh, about 1776 when Christopher Columbus and the Puritans landed in America. What happened then was the Puritans brought with them a legalistic, pharisaical approach to the Sabbath, that which had been going on probably for generations that started with the Pharisees and unfortunately continued, even though the New Testament church was supposed to be exemplifying this classic way of enjoying the Sabbath. And it started out that way, but somehow, and I don't know all the answers to that, it got lost again. So here we are, we have this new land that's being uh, started by 
Christians that wanted to have a Christian country and what they brought to America about the Sabbath was this. Brendan uh, Manning puts it this way. The hair-splitting, pharisaical interpretation of the Sabbath washed ashore in England. He goes on, quoting from the law books of our forefathers back then in Connecticut and the, the uh, Northeast. It says, and I quote, No one shall run on the Sabbath day. How many of you were like not allowed to play football or baseball or anything like that on Sundays? Anybody here? Only, not very many. Well, good for you guys. That's awesome. Maybe you just didn't have anything, but now you're going to be able to start new with what it's really intended to be. So um, it said, no one shall run on the Sabbath or walk in his garden or elsewhere except reverently to and from church. <laughs> no one shall travel or cook, make beds, sweep house, cut hair, or shave on the Sabbath. If any man shall kiss his wife or wife her husband on the Lord's day, the party in fault shall be punished at the discretion of the court of magistrates. Oh my goodness! How in the world do we take the Sabbath rest to that point? And that's the stuff that started many of our religious ideas that came from that beginning in America. That that's the way the Sabbath... I'm telling you what, that is so far off. I mean, the whole idea of the Sabbath is really about relationship. So I am giving every one of you permission on the Sabbath to kiss your spouse and your kids as many times as you want. And walk in your garden every time. I mean, seriously, this was so screwed up, I can't even get my head around it. It just really, it, it makes me angry. I, when I was preparing for this, I was, I, was, I was angry. And I was sad. So, I set my clock first service to go off at the point where I was supposed to stop, and I didn't do this. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, I'm, I'm getting close, so hang with me. Um, so, so here we are in the 21st century. We might not be as legalistic about the, the Sabbath, but still I think we're missing what, what is at the heart of the Sabbath. So what set apart the observation, this is where I want to kind of bring it all to a close. What set apart the observation of the Sabbath when Israel was entering the promised land until they were exiled to Babylon. That thousand years, what were they doing? What were the teachings? How was that presented to them? That, I believe, is the secret of the Sabbath that has been lost on us. So let me quickly unveil that ancient formula, that old path, if you will, and hopefully whet your appetite for the real thing. First, the Sabbath was a living memorial, a living memorial of creation. Just like what God did at the end. He, he celebrated what He had created. God wants us to celebrate what He has created, given to us, and made us be. 
So first and foremost, it, it was, well, maybe not foremost, but for sure, it was about celebrating creation. It was a day to acknowledge and be thankful for all God's goodness. A celebration of all that God's people are and have. Do you know how much we have? Do you know what we've been given? Do you celebrate that, even think about that? Even occasionally. But God wants us to do it every week. I suppose there really is a myriad of ways to extol and enjoy God's creation, and I trust that you'll find some on that day, whatever day that is. Because in the New Testament, it wasn't about Saturday or even Sunday. It was about the seventh day. Find the day with your work schedule, your family schedule. Whatever. Find the day and do it. Keep it. Honor it. Respect it. And you will experience things you've never experienced with God through that because it's holy. So, secondly, the Sabbath was also a memorial of the covenant God made with Israel at Mount Sinai, which is where the law was given, and previous to them entering into the Promised Land. So they got it then. It's like, oh, okay, we're, we're going to celebrate this gift that God has given us, this covenant that He's made with us to be His forever. So God wants to celebrate that covenant every week. I mean, there, there are couples who celebrate, I mean, most couples celebrate their marriage once a year. Um, some even get cards or celebrate each month on the date or day of their anniversary. So like ours is June 28th. And so on the 28th of every month, if I were one of those people, which I am not, I should, but I don't. I would get a card or bring a rose or do something, go out to eat every 28th of every month. They celebrate it once a month. Here's God, the lover of our souls. Talk about a romantic. He wants to do this with us every week. It's a celebration. It's joyful. It's not meant to be a drudgery. It's not to be like, oh, I guess I can't do what I want to do. No, it's about being able to do what we get to do because we are God's children. That's powerful. And I never heard that. I never got that. My whole adult, my whole life, spiritually and other, I never, never got that delivered to me. And that makes me sad that that, I, I've lived most of my life not knowing what that looks like. I remember when I was in Bible college, I, I wanted to honor God, so I didn't study, even if I had a test on Monday. I didn't study or anything on Sunday. I, 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 that's nice, but that, I didn't get it. That wasn't the point. So anyway, that is really the, 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 the big idea that I wanted to make sure you got this morning, this idea of Sabbath rest and that God has given it to us as a gift. So I just want you to, to evaluate your own life and your own heart. Where are you at in this? Are you like me that you just really didn't even know it was that big of a deal? Maybe we're past that because it's New Testament. No, we're even more in it as New Testament believers because it's because of Jesus and through Jesus that we can even have Sabbath rest, true Sabbath rest. So I'm going to close there. That was my first point. That's the main one. That's where I wanted to leave you. And I'll just tell you very short, very briefly what my second point was. And that was that Jesus 
is the spiritual fulfillment of Sabbath rest. So I'll close with this passage, this verse. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus said this, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. So the Sabbath is not, through Jesus, is not necessarily about doing nothing. It's about doing that which is other-centered, blesses God and others, and builds us up. So we're going to close here in a minute with some opportunities that the church is offering to you and I don't want you to get the message this morning that the Sabbath and what we talked about resting, well, I'm not going to be doing any of that stuff because I'm going to just kind of take a break. I get that. Maybe you've got to move some things around. But the point is that Sabbath is not about doing nothing. It's about doing something that makes a difference and matters to God. So that likely includes serving. Even Jesus talked about that. Like if your, your, your donkey's in a ditch and it's going to die if you don't do anything. The Pharisees said, leave it there because they're... Jesus said, that's silly. That's not what the Sabbath was about. I'm going to do that work because I'm going to save that animal. So Sabbath is not about doing nothing. It's about doing something that matters. So I'll leave it at that, and I'll ask you this one last question. What is one step you could take today to slow down and live more attuned to the heart of Jesus Christ? What, what's one step? That's all. Just what, what's one thing you can do differently this week that will allow you to enter into this Sabbath rest in ways that previously you may have never done? And experiment. God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm inviting you to taste and see that God's Sabbath is good. And you're not going to lose ground. You're going to gain it. You're not going to lose productivity. You're going to increase it. This has been True Talks with Pastor Tim Buttrey. If you'd like more information about True Relationships, just visit us on the web at truerelationships.org or on Twitter at Tim Buttrey or on Facebook at True Plus True.